the endorsements that we've done, we focus only on guys that absolutely love our product. Hmm. If the guy doesn't say this is the greatest thing ever, then we're not going to do an endorsement deal with them because we're still we're still really small. So the opportunity for us is finding those people who absolutely love the product and are interested in doing a somewhat unique structure. Welcome to the Sports Business Radio Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Berger. You can find the Sports Business Radio Podcast 15 years over 600 episodes featuring conversations with the biggest names in sports like David Stern, Pete Carroll, Chris Everett, Jeannie Buss, Michael Vick, Andre Iguodala, Mark Cuban, Tom Rinaldi, Charles Barkley, Jack Nicholas, Lindsey Vaughn, Eric Spolstra, Aaron Rodgers, and Steve Nash on iTunes or at sportsbusinessradio.com. Subscribe, rate, and review the Sports Business Radio podcast on iTunes, and everyone who posts a review on iTunes will be eligible to be selected to join us in our studio audience at one of our Sports Business Radio roadshows presented by Boingo. And we're also on Spotify now, so you can find us there. Follow us in between podcasts on Twitter at SB Radio. We've been named a top 50 follow by Forbes.com for three consecutive years, and on Instagram at Sports Business Radio. Well, thanks for joining us on this week's edition of Sports Business Radio. My guest this week, Kevin Lavelle, the founder and CEO of dress shirt company Mizzen in Maine, is going to join us. I love what they're doing with sports endorsers like Phil Mickelson. They do some really clever ads. They have found a way to become very relevant in the men's sportswear market, which is very crowded. We'll talk to Kevin Lavelle on this week's edition of Sports Business Radio. Also, a very big announcement. The next Sports Business Radio Roadshow is going to travel to Los Angeles, April 2nd at my alma mater, Loyola Marymount University. I'm very excited about this. We've been to universities all over the country in the last 10 years with the Sports Business Radio Roadshow. I have never gone to my own Loyola Marymount, and we will be sitting down with none other than Los Angeles Lakers owner Jeannie Buss, who has been on this show before. We have a great relationship it's been an interesting season for the Lakers. Yeah. So at that point, when we sit down on April 2nd, that is going to be an interesting conversation. We will have that conversation in front of invited guests and students from Loyola Marymount University. They will have the opportunity to take part in a Q&A with Jeannie Buss as part of our Sports Business Radio Roadshow. Griggs, we're off to L.A. I love it. And uh, that includes in and out And I am buying you a breakfast sandwich because I lost a bet. For the Super Bowl. For the Super Bowl. So yeah. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, you have a $2 limit. Oh, <laughs> I didn't know about that. I didn't know there was a $2 just limit. Kidding, just kidding. No, it'll be fun. Yeah, and again, Jeannie Buss, one of the brightest yes. executives in sports, uh, has such an interesting path to where she is now. And like we said, lots going on with the Los Angeles Lakers. So that will be a great conversation on April 2nd at Loyola Marymount. We will bring that to you here on that week's edition of Sports Business Radio. Thank you to Boingo for presenting all of the Sports Business Radio roadshows. Uh, Griggs, big headline this week, Bryce Harper, 13 years, $330 million. I think a lot of people, the first thing you notice when you say that contract with the Phillies is, wow. 13 years. Like, this guy's probably going to finish his career with the Phillies. No trade clause in his contract, so he obviously wants to be there. But one of the things I thought of, and something that not a lot of people are talking about, is 13 years from now, imagine what contracts could look like. 
So in the NBA, we see LeBron James, Kevin Durant, a lot of the athletes doing one- or two-year contracts. I know LeBron's on a four-year deal right now, but he had done one-year deals. You're able to adjust to the changing market and salary cap space and things like that. I'm thinking that in 13 years, Major League Baseball contracts are going to look much different than they do now. So to lock in for that amount of time, whereas someone like Manny Machado has a five-year opt-out, I was really surprised that he was willing to commit. But what it shows you is there are some athletes that just want that loyalty factor. They want to know, I'm going to be playing in the same place the rest of my career. I can raise my family in this city. There's a no-trade clause in the contract. Others want that flexibility where they can move around every couple of years or take advantage of an increased salary cap. It's not one size fits all. You know, I thought, and like you said, too, the thing that struck me was that 13 year, like 330 million is amazing, but 13 years is just such a long contract. But like you said, too, it's like that the amount of stress that he doesn't have now because he knows my family's going to be growing up here, the kids will be in the same schools. That's got to be a relief, too. I mean, that's probably one of the reasons, too, to look into something that longevity like that, too. So, so Roy Halladay was number 34 for the Phillies. Bryce Harper is not going to wear the same 34 that he wore in DC out of respect to Roy Halladay. So he's wearing the number three, just <laughs> like another famous number three in Philadelphia, Allen Iverson. Griggs, fanatic set a one day record for sales for baseball jerseys when they put the Philadelphia Phillies number three Bryce Harper jersey on sale. He's already been worth, I think, 200,000 tickets hmm. to the Philadelphia Phillies. So Philadelphia is super excited to have Bryce Harper on board, and they're seeing it with jersey sales and ticket sales. Yeah, and that just shows you how much one star can really, really push a team. I mean, we see it with LeBron going to L.A. We see it with KD going to Golden State. That one player, it's more than just being on the court and playing. It's so much more with the fans and the tickets and the jerseys and the sales and the merchandise. It's pretty cool. The other thing I thought of when I saw 13 years, $330 million was, oh my God, if Bryce Harper got this, what is Mike Trout worth? Yeah. Most people would yeah. agree that Mike Trout is probably the most complete player in baseball. He plays for the Angels. You know, there's been talk maybe there's a 10 year, $350 million mm-hmm. deal for Mike Trout, who also is young. There's been rumors that Trout may join Bryce Harper in Philadelphia, and Bryce Harper at his introductory press conference was kind of alluding to the fact that mm. there's a guy, he didn't mention Trout by name, that's coming <laughs> off the books in a couple of years who will also be a free agent. And wouldn't that be interesting to see those two? Yeah. And by the way, uh, Trout is from Philadelphia, so those two in the same lineup would be downright scary, but you'd be looking at paying them you know, $750 million or so between wow. the two of them, or $700 million between the two of them, it's a lot of money. So for all the talk of people saying, well, the owners were colluding, they're not handing out big contracts anymore, I would say $330 million <laughs> to Bryce Harper and $300 million to Manny Machado, it's a lot of money. Baseball still handing out the big contracts, and frankly longer-term contracts than most yeah. other sports. You don't see 10-year and 13-year contracts except for in sports like the NHL sometimes. You're definitely not seeing those in the NFL, and you're not seeing them in the NBA either. The other thing uh, I just wanted to cover, this has nothing to do with sports. This is just me. But I was really bummed to see Beverly Hills 90210 and Riverdale actor Luke Perry pass away at the young age of 52 this week. 
uh, from everyone that I know down in Los Angeles where I went to school. They tell me that Luke Perry was just a, a gem of a human being, really good guy. And uh, gosh, you just here's another person that was taken from us too soon. I was a big Beverly Hills 90210 fan when I was growing up. I know my daughter has been a big Riverdale fan. He's one of the dads on Riverdale. So, Griggs, just another reminder. Like, you know, here's a guy that seemed to be in good shape. And, you know, you would have never thought that a massive stroke would take his life. But uh, just really sad to see the passing of Luke Perry. It is. And a good reminder to, you know, love the ones you love and live every day to the fullest because you just don't know. I mean, he and, you know, like you said, I've heard a lot of stories, too, from people I know that uh, that know, knew him um, that say he was a gem of a guy, too. And it's just surprising and shocking. So it's always sad. But. You know, a good reminder to us that are still living that we got to live every day to the fullest because you just don't know. Yeah, there's a lot of that. And uh, I mean, speaking of people passing 29 years ago this week, Hank Gathers, who was a friend and one of the best college basketball players I ever saw, died March 4th, 1990. And I was calling that game on KXLU radio with my friend Keith Foreman at Loyola Marymount. And I can't believe it's been 29 years, but... Uh, you know, Hank Gathers is still remembered to this day. If you don't know who Hank Gathers is, Google him. Watch some of his videos. I have posted some of his interviews on YouTube years ago. But uh, just really an extraordinary college basketball player, but also a very funny human being. He wanted to get into broadcasting. Uh, just a prankster, a jokester. So Hank Gathers, even 29 years later, you were missed. All right, coming up next, Kevin Lavelle, the founder and CEO of Mizzen and Maine. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. When it comes to stadiums and arenas, every sports pro knows wireless wins. And when it comes to the best wireless technology for your venue, look no further than Boingo Wireless. Boingo is the largest operator of indoor wireless networks in the U.S., providing state-of-the-art Wi-Fi and cellular services that power amazing fan experiences. And Boingo makes keeping your stadium connected easy today and in the future. Thinking about 5G? Boingo's expert team helps you carry the ball through a complex technology landscape to deliver wireless solutions that will delight fans and deepen loyalty season after season. Here's another kicker. Boingo is simply the best connected experience for your business. With Boingo, stadiums and arenas enjoy unique operating efficiencies, revenue opportunities, and digital insights into their fan base. That's a win-win. Boingo works with major league sports venues like Soldier Field, Vivint Smart Home Arena, State Farm Arena, and University Stadiums like University of Louisville and K-State. Our thanks to Boingo for their continued support of Sports Business Radio. We're excited to showcase how technology is changing the business of sports. If you would like more information on Boingo Wireless, visit boingo.com or email sports at boingo.com. My guest is Kevin Lavelle. He is the founder and CEO of Mizzen and Maine. He's a graduate of SMU. He resides in Dallas. You can find him on Twitter at Kevin S. Lavelle. You can find Mizzen and Maine on Twitter at Mizzen and Maine. They're a performance menswear company. They've partnered with such athletes as Phil Mickelson, J.J. Watt, Tim Tebow, Kyle Schwarber, and Kyler Murray, amongst others. Kevin is also the host of the Founders 15 podcast. You can find that on iTunes, and we'll talk about that today as well. Kevin, thanks for joining us on Sports Business Radio. How are you? I'm great. Thank you for having me. This is going to be awesome. 
Yeah, this is going to be great. Uh, I've definitely taken notice of what Mizzen in Maine has done with your athlete endorsement deals. But before we get into that, let's start at the beginning. Share with us your entrepreneur story and how you started Mizzen in Maine. So the idea has been with me for a long time. It was about 15 years ago, I watched a guy run into a building soaked in sweat and just wondered why you didn't make dress shirts out of performance fabrics. I grew up playing golf and watched uh, performance polos really transform what guys wear on the golf course and thought, why wouldn't you do the same thing with dress shirts? Fast forward a few years later, I, I'd been working for a few different great companies and felt like I understood a little bit more of the working world and, and decided I needed to give this a shot. So I spent about a year in product development, learning about fabrics and textiles, manufacturing and design, and launched in July of 2012. Uh, I thought to much fanfare, but after uh, launching our first shirt online um, and some of my family and friends being kind enough to humor me and buy a shirt, then the real work (laughs) began to figure out how to go build a brand where people wanted to buy shirts. So it was a little bit of everything out of the gate. It was going to marathon expos. It was handing out water bottles on the Katy Trail in Dallas wrapped with our brand name. It was doing a little bit of this and that, just trying to get our brand name out there and started going to some trade shows to see if we could get wholesale accounts to carry our products because of the unique feel. And uh, sometimes it felt fast and furious, and sometimes it felt like a snail's pace. But uh, in the last seven years, we've grown quite a bit. We're in over 750 retail doors. We've worked with some of the greatest athletes on the planet, like JJ, as you mentioned, and Phil, and uh, feel like we're just getting started, too. The name is interesting. It's unique. It's memorable. Mizzen and Maine. How did you come up with the name? So I had a really great creative director early on. Um, He ended up not joining us full time, but um, is a partner in the company and did a lot of work for us in those early days, uh, Stephen DeWitt. I basically described to him the brand that I wanted us to be and uh, the type of guy that would wear our product and what it would mean. And he came up with a couple really great options. And um, the Mizzen and the Main are sails on a sailboat. And we want to be a great classic American brand. And the imagery really just felt like it fit us. Even if you've never been sailing or if you don't know what the words are, uh, once, you, once you get familiar with the brand, it, it all kind of fits. The wind kind of powers the sailboat and moves you and our, our shirts are much more comfortable and lightweight and they're athletic. So uh, it felt like a great match. And ultimately, a brand name is what you make it to be. Uh, when when uh, the story goes, when Phil Knight started Nike, you know, no one really loved the name. But now it's the most iconic brand name in, ever. So it, it is all about what you define it to be. And we had a great creative who gave us that, that story behind the name and, and something for us to hang our hat on. What are some of the traits of a successful entrepreneur, in your opinion? Uh, absolutely have to have intellectual curiosity. If you're not interested in a lot of things, you're not going to be successful because in those early days, you have to be and do everything. So intellectual curiosity, I think, is one of the most important characteristics. A certain level of, uh, I don't know how to say, the balance between Ego, naivete, and um, dogged determination, somewhere in the middle of those three is is a good place to be in terms of feeling like you can take on these massive challenges despite the odds, uh, naivete in terms of not worrying about some of the things that will get in your way, um, and then the determination because it doesn't happen overnight ever. Um, and even the even the success stories that happen in a few short years, uh, there's so much more that happens behind the scenes. And 
uh, everything from uh, dealing with great and challenging employees to cash flow and vendors and everything in between. If you can't stick to it, um, you're you're never going to make it. So I would say those two kind of buckets are are the most important. And then uh, something that's really helped keep me sane over the last few years is trying to cultivate um, an attitude of, I hate to say it this way, but an attitude of gratitude, uh, feeling grateful for the opportunities and knowing that you're going to have good days and bad days, but ultimately it's a privilege and uh, an extraordinary opportunity to be able to build a company in this great country. Now, it's great. And I know, don't you manufacture here in the U.S., right? So we manufacture here in the U.S. and also overseas. I had hoped early on to be able to do everything here and really just kind of hit a wall of being able to build a manufacturing company or to be able to build a brand. Um, Some people are able to do both. That's very few and far between. A great example of that to me is Rogue, uh, Rogue Fitness out of Columbus, Ohio. They've built a brand and a manufacturing company. Um, We've had some great partners along the way, but we're making so many shirts now. um, The concentration of a manufacturer is left here in the United States who will do something as complex as a stretch dress shirt. There really just aren't that many left. So we do here in the U.S. and also overseas. But um, that was entirely a decision around our ability to keep growing um, and making as much product as we need to and making it at quality. Uh, it wasn't a let's go, let's just go chase profits. That's uh, that's not what drove the decision. So it was a, it was a tough call to make um, because we, we really wanted to keep everything here. But uh, the rubber met the road of how do we produce, um, you know, 10,000 shirts a month, 20,000 shirts a month, 50,000 shirts a month, 100,000 shirts a month. And uh, that scaling was something that just got in front of us uh, in terms of being able to produce everything here. Totally understand. So like I said earlier, the thing that really caught my attention with you guys is lots of companies hire athlete endorsers, but they don't activate them in a very clever way. The things that I've seen you guys do with, like I said, Phil Mickelson, with J.J. Watt, uh, several of the athletes that you work with, really clever. And, you know, even something as clever as Phil Mickelson won his 44th PGA Tour event at the AT&T Pebble Beach Pro-Am. And you guys immediately, like within minutes after he won, you launched a $44, 44-hour sale to celebrate that 44th tour victory for Mickelson. Companies aren't that nimble. And it could take yeah. meetings and weeks for something like that to happen. And I love the fact that you guys activated around it in the moment right away. Talk to us about the athlete endorsement deals that you do and how you are so creative and clever with these campaigns. Yeah. Um, so we, there are pros and cons of being small. Uh, there are challenges around systems and scaling and people and hiring and all of those things. Those are, those are challenges. There are also some pretty significant pros, which are the decision makers are uh, all around the same room together in, in just a matter of minutes. So, um, we are able to do things and move quickly. We don't have to get approvals from 38 different departments spread across, you know, 14 cities. Um, so that, that allows us to stay nimble and quick. And, um, look, the big companies have lots of advantages over us and we try and be, um, appropriately, uh, scrappy when we can. And, and that's an example of one, one where we can be scrappy. We also, um, the endorsements that we've done, we focus only on guys that absolutely love our product. If the guy doesn't say this is the greatest thing ever, then we're not going to do an endorsement deal with them because we're still we're still really small and endorsement dollars are pretty big in the sports world today. I can't compete with um, some of the bigger endorsement um, deals out there. So what we've been able to do is find some guys that 
some have been one-off opportunities where it's just a photo shoot, and some have been, uh, like JJ and Phil, um, major long-term multi-year equity and, and royalty and partnership investment options. So the opportunity for us is finding those people who absolutely love the product and are interested in doing a somewhat unique structure. If someone's looking to just get a million-dollar check and um, you know show up for three events, that's not the type of endorsement deal that we are capable of doing today. But we are capable of structuring things that um, create long-term, mutually aligned incentives and um, then activate on them in unique ways. You know, the, the video we did with Phil where he was doing the worm and the fan kick and all of that, um, it was a brilliant idea from our creative director. It was a very uncomfortable moment for me to try and pitch uh, Phil on doing it. But ultimately, he embraced it. He loved it. We had fun with it. And um, it's obviously been tremendously successful in how people have approached it. So take me inside that conversation with Phil, because the first thing I thought of when I saw that video was, wow, okay, yes, that's a great shirt because he can move around in it, which I'm sure is part of your, your goal. But the other is I haven't really seen this side of Phil Mickelson before, and I like it. And <laughs> I thought it was really brilliant of you guys to pull that out of him. How were you able to convince him to do something that seems like it would be out of his comfort zone? I think it starts with a level of trust. And um, I had met with him um, before and met with his team, and we really felt like this was going to be a great partnership over time. Certainly, he could have said, I love the idea, but it's just not who I am. A big part of what we were able to do is it is a big part of who Phil is. He's fun. He loves to loves to goof around. He doesn't take himself too seriously. Certainly, he takes himself very seriously on, on winning, but... Um, you know, he loves doing things differently. There was a campaign with Phil a few years ago with another company called What Will Phil Do Next? Because he's unpredictable. Um, he loves getting in there, doing things differently, and, and uh, showing people a different side of him in other ways. This, uh, this, was a, this was a stretch. And actually, one of the things that uh, I loved most in, in the, the after effects of this campaign was Matt Kutcher said I, something like, I knew Phil could dance like that. I never knew the rest of the world would get to see Phil dance like that because I guess <laughs> at, at, at events where it's closed door, you know, they all have fun and goof off together in a way that um, is not open to the public. So um, I am very proud of, of the work that our team did. I love that Phil decided to, you know, go for it. And um, it was it was tough. It was tough to do. He was in a room by himself. Well, it was just him in front of the camera. And there were about 20 of us with a green screen and, Dancing is never a comfortable thing for most people. Dancing on camera when 20 people are looking at you and you have to do the same thing over and over again, that's really hard. But he embraced it, and once we did it, he showed it to his family, and he gave me a call and said, man, this is going to be so great. I'm so excited we did this. Let's go shock the world, and, and man, we really did. The other part of the deal that I found to be – the timing was pretty interesting to me, and you know, someone like me takes notice of stuff like this. Around the time of the video, oh, look, Phil Mickelson just happened to finally join Twitter. Did that conversation <laughs> come up? Because I was like, wow, you know, everyone had always been talking about when is Phil going to join Twitter? He would have so many followers. He could activate his endorsement partnerships, but he just wouldn't do it. And now he was joining Twitter. And this was like the first big piece of content that he put out. 
And did you guys have anything to do with convincing him to finally join Twitter? I I will not take credit for that. Um, it, it was something that he had been trying to figure out the right time and the right way to do it. Um, I don't obviously know all the details of when they did what, but we knew at some point in time he was going to um, because, you know, he uh, obviously he's joined all three of the major networks. Now we knew it was going to happen. We weren't sure exactly when, um, and we operated on our own timeline and sometimes it's better to be lucky than good. And, and we got lucky from some timing perspective too. No, very, very lucky. Uh, the other thing that's interesting about you guys is like you were saying, you handle your marketing and creative in-house. I know you consult with some people externally, but it's not like you have some big agency who's doing all this clever work for you. You guys are doing this on your own. Yeah, um, I, I give so much credit to our, our team for being so scrappy and doing things in such an awesome way. Our um, creative director, Richard, has been with the company for a few years now, just has a, a brilliant mind and understands how to pull things together and really evoke that sense of uh, that balance of brand and humor and the fact that we do need to sell things. So all of those all of those are uh, difficult things to pull together. But then he's supported by Lindsay, who has played so many different roles as our marketing director. She actually produced the commercial. She'd never done that before. Uh, so seeing people step up in a big way is one of the greatest privileges of, of getting to, to be the CEO is giving people an opportunity and then letting them, letting them run with it. And man, they really have. You're listening to Sports Business Radio with our guest Kevin Lavelle of Mizzen and Maine. We'll be right back after this. Robinhood is an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks, ETFs, options, and cryptos all commission free. While other brokerages charge up to $10 for every trade, Robinhood doesn't charge any commission fees, so you can trade stocks and keep all of your profits. Plus, there is no account minimum deposit needed to get started, so you can start investing at any level. The simple, intuitive design of Robinhood makes investing easy for newcomers and experts alike. View easy-to-understand charts and market data and place a trade in just four taps on your smartphone. You can also view stock collections, such as 100 Most Popular. With Robinhood, you can learn how to invest in the market as you build your portfolio, discover new stocks, track your favorite companies, and get custom notifications for price movements so you never miss the right moment to invest. Robinhood is giving listeners to the Sports Business Radio podcast a free stock like Apple, Ford, or Sprint to help you build your portfolio. Sign up at sbradio.robinhood.com. That's sbradio.robinhood.com. Now back to Sports Business Radio with our guest, Kevin Lavelle. So again, we've seen ads with Phil Mickelson. We've seen uh, digital spots with J.J. Watt. And uh, I know you have one with Kyle Schwarber going on right now, Tim Tebow. The other ad that really caught my attention uh, is the textile dysfunction ad. How did you come up with that? Because, you know, if you're a guy out there and you see all of the erectile dysfunction ads that are on TV, this is a takeoff of that. But, you know, in your terminology, and that also caught my attention and I thought it was very clever. Yeah, that was, again, uh, give all credit to my creative director, Richard. Um, he walked into my office one day and said, Hey, I've got an idea. I want to help the men of America solve their textile dysfunction with our performance <laughs> fabric dress shirts. And I just started cracking up laughing. And I, 
I didn't realize at the moment that he was saying it, he was asking me for kind of approval because it's obviously a little bit edgy and humorous. But ultimately, um, we are we are having fun with how ridiculous those commercials are. Certainly, there are guys that have serious issues, and we're not making light of that. It's definitely how absurd those commercials are. Um, and then the play on words for solving the fact that everyone sweats through their dress shirts. Um, the uh, the feedback to it has been hysterical, and we did that video with Paige Spiranak and um, kind of played on the fact that she's got millions of people following her, and uh, obviously she she made it she made it absolutely hysterical and um, can can really amplify the work that uh, a great creative campaign started with, um, and she really took it to the next level. So nothing but fun there. No, she definitely did, and that's something that you guys have done well. Like I think you said earlier. Two TV ads uh, with the Phil Mickelson spot, but everything else you've done has been via the digital realm and social media, yet you've created this buzz. So what it's shown me is you don't have to spend millions of dollars to buy a Super Bowl spot or these major ad campaigns. You can really become memorable in the digital social media space like you guys have. Yeah, it's it, there's no formula to it, and we've done other clever campaigns that haven't hit to the same level of, of some of our recent ones. Um, we bought we bought about four or five actual TV spots during the Bridgestone, uh, which is when we launched the commercial, and then we bought some some other ads in the two weeks following just to kind of continue on the success of that video. But um, the the success of it really came uh, from from two levels. Uh, one is that it became its own talking point. So it was basically on loop on every major sports uh, network and broadcaster's mouth for several days. Uh, and it was its own talking point, which obviously you can't, you can't buy that level of exposure. Um, and, then, and then the second point is it's something that was imminently shareable. People, want, people wanted to share it. It wasn't uh, salesy. We weren't telling people. I mean, we obviously told them a little bit about the shirt, but it was more creating that overall sense of awareness. Uh, and now it's now it's our job to go follow up and convert those folks to customers down the road. Since you guys announced your partnership with Phil Mickelson, you don't have to give me exact numbers, but I'm assuming that you've seen a big spike in, in business. And again, I know you had J.J. Watt. I know you had Tim Tebow, some others on board before. But really, the first time I saw you guys and took notice is after you signed Phil I'm assuming you've seen a big spike in sales since then. Um, yeah, we, we've been growing like crazy, and, and there's ebbs and flows of, of growth all the time, and that's just the nature of, of what we're doing. Um, we continue to see that very healthy growth over time, and, and JJ and Tebow and Phil and, and all of the athletes that we work with are a part of our broader growth strategy just to get our name out there and tell people they don't have to suffer through wearing their uncomfortable cotton dress shirt. And, you know, it's interesting, the, the balance that we see is a traditional apparel company. A lot of them are starting to do a little bit of stretch fabric. They're starting to do a little bit of synthetic. But I think what they're, what they're going to continue to struggle with is it's tough for them to deliver the reality of the message, which is our performance fabric dress shirts are better in every way than a traditional cotton dress shirt. You'll never want to wear a traditional cotton dress shirt again because they still have so much business doing traditional cotton dress shirts and traditional cotton other products. Um, and then on the sports side, there are no shortage of great brand names out there that could make a great product as well, but they're really focused on the athlete on the field and the brand logo and, and really 
hammering that home. And when it comes to a guy wearing a suit and tie or to work on, on you know, Monday through Thursday, the or Monday through Friday, they need something that is work professional appropriate. So we have this very unique white space between athletic apparel companies and traditional apparel companies and um, athletes help us tell that story. Well, one of the things I did take notice of, too, is so everyone except for Phil Mickelson, you know, they're wearing these shirts in their off the field time. Phil Mickelson is wearing this on the golf course. So, again, I always talk on this show about how golfers are so particular about their golf ball, their clubs. This is something that's literally affecting his performance, what he's wearing on the golf course. So, to me, it was even a bigger testimonial to the flexibility of the shirt and the performance of the shirt that you guys make if he's wearing it on the golf course while competing. Yeah, without a doubt. That was that was the genesis of the idea was let's get someone to play a round in the shirt to show what it's capable of. And then really it's just been taken to the next level many times over because he hasn't worn it once. He's worn it many times. He's worn it uh, at Augusta. He's worn it at Players. He's worn it at uh, at the British Open. And it it is a testament to what he's capable of doing in the shirt. I, I am amazed how much he loves playing golf in the shirt. Certainly he's that good, but he actually really does love playing in the shirt. Uh, and when he, he just won, what was it, two or three weeks ago, um, he started that week uh, on Thursday. He actually t- uh, put a video out on Instagram. He said, I knew it was going to be a great day. I put on my Mizzen and Main button-down dress shirt and went out and hit every fairway. It's the first time I've done that in 14 years. Wow. So clearly he's able to play in it. The first day that we announced the partnership, because he, when he played in it at Augusta, we hadn't announced any partnership yet. Um, but when he announced the partnership, he played um, at the players. And he, he really did not have a good round, but he's also missed the cut four of the last five years. As he said, I don't know how I ever won here. This isn't really my, my style, of course. Um, and when he played that first round, and, and he didn't play well, everyone was ragging on him and us for wearing a dress shirt. Since then, he's obviously worn a dress shirt and won and played really well. Um, it, it, we are, uh, we do not impact his play that we have been able to see. And, um, for me, it's much, much more important that he ends up being, uh, you know, ends up continuing to win and playing great golf than being seen in our shirt. So he has no pressure from us on what he wears at any given time. So as far as athlete partnerships are concerned, is it fair to say that you'll continue to look for those right partners for you, like you said, that love the product and that could, you know, help you be an ambassador in the future? Or are you pretty set with your your stable of athletes that you have right now? We're always looking for new and exciting partnerships. The the reality is um, we're never going to say we have too many athletes that we're working with. For us, it comes down to finding those guys that absolutely love the product and cannot believe that they've never worn it before or they that there are other products out there and then finding a way to make sure that we can activate in a um, on-brand manner one of the things that's made phil's partnership so successful for for us and i know he as i said loves wearing the product is he he is actually demonstrating what the product is capable of in such a unique way um i i joked with with jj that you know we'd love to see him out there sometime on the field wearing it and he kind of chuckled obviously he's never going to be allowed to wear a dress shirt under his uniform um but it's finding that balance and then also there are lots of great guys out there that love our product but um we want to find those guys that have that right balance of 
endorsements and advertising and being true to themselves. You look at some athletes' um, uh, kind of social feeds and how they operate, and it's it's very clear they're transactional or um, they just are the only thing that you see from them are the things that they're paid to post. That doesn't really work for us. Mm. Um, so we, we want to find the guys that it's, it's organic, it's a natural, it's a part of what they do. Clearly, there's a partnership there. Um, and then some, uh, you know, we're doing, uh, we just shot with Kyler. We hope that's the first of many things that we do together. But it also depends on other opportunities that, that he has. He might end up signing a deal that precludes a, a much bigger deal that ends up precluding us from working together. It's not that we don't still want to work with him. Um, some some companies are okay with us tagging along. Some say uh, no, that's that's too much of an overlap, or we want to own that kind of category, even though they might not be putting him in performance dress shirts. Let's talk about uh, your retail strategy. I know for the longest time everything was sold online. Now you're in two retail channels, I think, beyond your website. And then you're at Nordstrom, uh, you're on Amazon. Talk to me a little bit about just your your selling strategy. We want to go where the customer is and give them a great brand experience. Uh, We're in over 750 retail locations today. We have two of our own stores, and obviously we're online we sell a little bit of our products on Amazon. We have a customer-centric approach, and we want to make it easy for them to buy it. In a, again, it has to be an on-brand experience that represents who we are as a company. Um, a lot of a lot of companies that started online look at wholesale as um, an archaic channel, or uh, you know that they're competing for the margin dollars. I want every guy in the country to be wearing as many Mizzen and Main shirts as possible, or have as many in, in his closet as possible. I don't really care where they buy it from. Certainly online is presents the biggest growth opportunity because at the end of the, the day, there's only so many stores that we're going to partner with and we can only open so many stores. So the biggest growth opportunity is our own website. Um, and very few stores um, have ever carried every shirt that we make in every size. So there's a balance of being able to walk into a store, try something on and walk out with it that day versus needing to order it online and um, we have pretty quick shipping, but you still need to uh, wait for it to get there. And then we we started testing on Amazon and found that um, it was a channel where people were searching for our product. So we might as well offer it to them in some capacity there, too. So we've been very deliberate about what is the best experience for the customer, what ensures we have long-term brand protection. There's some stores that we won't go in because they're just too focused on discounting and um not really elevating and uh, having appropriate respect for for the brand or the quality or the product. So we will continue to evaluate new options, but at the end of the day, our strategy is how do we get as many shirts uh, on our guys' backs as possible in an on-brand way that respects respects the quality of the product, the brand integrity, and our long-term viability as a company. Now, I love what you guys are doing. Uh, let's discuss your Founders 15 podcast. You are, it seems like a lot of executives now who have access to people that you have access to and other founders uh, are starting podcasts. I've listened to your podcast a few times. I really like it. I love the fact that it's the same 15 questions and that you're only interacting with other founders or athletes Tell us a little bit about the origination of the Founders 15 podcast. I have learned so much from uh, various podcasts 
over the last several years. Uh, we sponsored Tim Ferriss's podcast four years ago, and it changed the trajectory of our business. And what Tim has built is absolutely remarkable. But what I have found, as you mentioned, is I have unique access and have built really great relationships with a lot of other founders because it is a very unique journey. And uh, in, in having those conversations, something will come up where we'll be having a strategic discussion or we'll have a question around what's happening with Facebook or we're thinking about opening a store in a certain city. And I'll just think through my, my you know, Rolodex in my head and I'll text another founder who I know has a similar experience or can help give me some perspective and, and vice versa. I get texts or calls about what's happening with um, whether it's some of our vendors, what's happening with marketing spend, what's happening with conferences. And those are oftentimes very tactical questions, but I find the most valuable conversations being the kind of somewhat existential or how you decide to run a business overall questions. And mm. we founders that I, I've come to know over the last several years, we had some really awesome conversations. And I thought some of these points are obviously confidential and, and not, not for public, uh, not for public ears, but some of them are really things that people would find value in. So that was part of the genesis of the, uh, of the podcast. And the other was, I've, again, listened to a lot of different podcasts. And when you go from, you know, entrepreneur to entrepreneur to founder to executive to marketer, when you don't have a continuity of questions, it can be sometimes harder to draw parallels. And it's not that you have to draw parallels across every podcast that you listen to, but there are no shortage of interviews of great founders. What I wanted to do is create a unique experience of drawing parallels across the same set of questions and asking it from a founder's perspective rather than a journalist or rather than, than a, a traditional interviewer, which, again, there's merit and value in those specifically. But I thought I could create a different and unique experience by having the conversation be founder to founder. And so when we have a conversation and we record it for Founders 15 and people talk about um, some of the difficulties around not having time for friends, not having enough time or bandwidth for hobbies when it comes time for the challenges of letting employees go. Those are, uh, you have to live through those experiences, I feel like, to be able to dive in from an empathetic level. And the response has been great. I, I did not start this to go be a podcaster or a journalist. I did this because I thought some of the listeners and our customers would find value in hearing these conversations. I've recorded about 15 or 20, and um, I took a little bit of a hiatus because my wife gave birth in December and um, was a little bit overloaded for those first few weeks um, altogether, including also running a business, but excited to continue to release these over time. And um, the great part about it, again, is I'm not trying to make myself a podcaster or start a separate business podcasting, so we'll be able to do this for as long as people continue to find value in it. No, I think it's great. I think it's unique. I think it shows you in a, a different light. I'm able to kind of get to know you as the founder and CEO of Mizzen in Maine a little bit better via your podcast. So uh, keep up the great work. We have a lot of entrepreneurs who listen to this show, a lot of business people. Parting advice that you would have for them. I know you kind of talked earlier in our conversation about the traits of entrepreneurs, but uh, just some parting advice for anyone listening to this who may be thinking, you know, I don't know if I have it in me to, to go down that road because, like you said, it takes persistence and takes a lot of other traits. But uh, what would your advice be? Um, in no particular order, a uh, couple couple parting thoughts on, on those folks thinking that they might want to go start a business. Um, 
first and foremost, it's definitely not for everybody. I think with Shark Tank, with uh, some of these high-flying tech startups and crazy money being thrown around from investment firms, there's the notion that everybody should be able to go start a business. And um, I don't say this from an egotistical place. I say it from a place of experience. It's okay that it's not for everybody. Some people make really great number two, three, or four employees rather than being the person to start the company. So if you're looking for that experience, um, maybe you don't have the idea. Maybe you don't have the security. Maybe you don't have the personality profile. All of those things are okay. Uh, you can still get that smaller startup experience if you want to. But part B of that is a lot of people assume, oh, man, it'd be so cool to work at a startup. It's more flexible. It's different. It's fun. We've had several people come in from larger companies, and it's not a knock on them at all. It just was not an alignment from a personality perspective. And they ended up going back to work for bigger companies because it is very different. And, um, you know, when, when people are frustrated that our systems or processes or uh, uh, housing, our tech stack is either non-existent or immature, and it makes it harder to do your job every day, that's the con against the pro of being more nimble, flexible, and frankly, getting to have a little bit more fun at work. So understand what you're getting yourself into and know that the grass is not always greener. There's pros and cons on both sides. Uh, so that would be number one. And then number two is there's never going to be a right time for you to start your business. Maybe you did just have a baby or, or you um, just went through kind of a life event that made it not possible in that moment. But other than those very unique life experiences, and I know plenty of people who started a business right around the time they had a baby, including mothers who started or are launching a business in the midst of that process as well, just get out there and start. Um, start selling your product. Start selling your service. Figure out if people will pay you for it. Uh, it's easy to just get yourself stuck in a rut of thinking through the idea and what every eventuality will get to. But I can promise you, you won't know all of them, and you're definitely going to be wrong about your approach because I've been wrong about almost everything along the way. So just get out there and start. And um, the experience of starting your own business, again, if it's the right fit for you, is unlike anything else out there. Uh, you will learn more from it. You will uh, uh, life suffering in, in terms of um, medical issues or family problems uh, doesn't even come close to the difficulties of being an entrepreneur. The, those things are much more serious and life matters so much more than, than business does. But it's, it's going to be a hard journey. And the sooner off you just get started and figure out if it's the right path for you and if people value your business or service, the better. Just don't don't wait for that perfect moment or all of the, the stars to align. Uh, and then the last thing would be have fun. It's a really hard journey. And the more you can stay grounded and grateful for the opportunity to pursue your path, uh, the better. And know that the reality is most people end up failing, that statistically you're going to fail. And that's where that belief in yourself and that naivete and that dogged determination we talked about earlier comes into play. And one other question I know my audience will want me to ask you. You've gotten elite athletes, Phil Mickelson, J.J. Watt, Tim Tebow, Kyler Murray, to take notice of your product and then believe in your product. How do you become memorable with those types of hard-to-get-to, high-profile people? Um, oh gosh, that is probably the hardest question I've gotten in a long time. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know that I have one thing to say, this is how you can be memorable. Um, I think the advice I would give here would be um, certainly the, the first the first step in all of it is have a great product and a great service and a great brand that they would want to be associated with. But I heard years ago um, 
an investor said they really it's unlikely they would consider investing in a company if the founder or the person raising that investment couldn't get a warm introduction from someone in their network. And I've heard criticisms of that because it means that if you don't have a good network, then you're not able to, um, you know, you're not able to access potentially a little bit more of an elite club. And I, I completely empathize with that perspective that it might be a little bit exclusionary. But I think it comes down to if you can't hustle your way into getting somebody's attention, that's the, that's the lesson I take more from it. If you can't hustle your way into getting somebody's attention, I don't know how you're going to be successful with all of the other challenges that come along with being an entrepreneur and building a company. So for us, I got lucky sometimes, and that's a part of the story with some introductions to various people. And then one introduction and a follow-through on a promise leads to another introduction and a follow-through on a, on a, you know, a meeting. And then all of a sudden you're talking with uh, some agents. And certainly we've had random inbounds come through, but um, it also comes from building your network, following through, being patient, and making it to where people know, I can trust working with Kevin. I can trust working with Mizzen and Maine, and I will vouch for them. Because you better believe, uh, and, and JJ's agent and I have become good friends over the years, but you better believe I got a lot of vetting before I was allowed to have a meeting with JJ, because he has a thousand things thrown at him all the time. Um, but through a few different avenues, I was able to get a product to him and an introduction to his agent. And then from there, it was a face-to-face. And it was at that point in time, because we worked with JJ, what was it, three and a half years ago, almost almost four years ago, um, he needed to believe in me. And he needed to believe that I would follow through, I would be respectful of his brand because there's a huge risk, as much as there's a risk for companies working with athletes or endorsers because of uh, you know, morality and, and other things that could go wrong, it's a huge risk for an athlete to align themselves with a the brand. Because what if the brand ends up doing some things pretty badly? Then the athlete's going to get all sorts of, of flack and um, blowback from it, even though they may have had absolutely no idea and how could they have ever known. So there's a, a balance to be struck there, but ultimately I would boil it down to can you get a helpful introduction and then can you be the person that they want to believe in and trust will follow through and protect their name kevin lavelle the founder and ceo of mizzen and maine you can find him on twitter at kevin s lavelle you can find mizzen and maine at mizzen and maine on twitter and you can listen to the founders 15 podcast find that on itunes kevin I really enjoyed this conversation. Uh, really enjoy what you guys are doing with Phil Mickelson, JJ Watt, and some of your clever ads. I think you make a great product. Thanks for joining us on Sports Business Radio. Thank you. Appreciate it. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. The 2019 Sports PR Summit presented by the Players Tribune will take place on Tuesday, May 21st at the Players Tribune headquarters in New York City. The Sports PR Summit brings together senior PR and social media executives from across the sports world, along with elite athletes and national media members for a full day of on-stage discussions and networking. All attendees leave with ready-to-apply best practices and with a better understanding of how to maximize relationships with the media and the athletes they work with. This year's Sports PR Summit lineup features NBA Commissioner Emeritus David Stern, Sports Illustrated Executive Editor and 60 Minutes Correspondent John Wartime, and an exclusive roundtable discussion featuring elite athletes who work with the Players' Tribune. Past Sports PR Summit speakers have included NBA Commissioner Adam Silver, 
NHL Commissioner Gary Bettman, Miami Dolphins owner Stephen Ross, NASCAR legend Jeff Gordon, NFL greats Michael Vick, Demarcus Ware, and Anquan Bolden, WNBA greats Lisa Leslie and Swin Cash, ESPN reporters Tom Rinaldi and Jeremy Schapp, The Atlantic reporter Jamel Hill, and my friend New York Knicks head coach David Fisdale. The Sports PR Summit has sold out each of its first six years. We only have 125 spots for senior PR and social media executives. Reserve your spot today by visiting sportsprsummit.com. I'll see you at the 2019 Sports PR Summit on May 21st at the Players' Tribune in New York City. Well, that's it for this edition of Sports Business Radio. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks to our show staff, Brian Griggs and Josh Blank. Thanks to our friends at Boingo Wireless for powering our Sports Business Radio Roadshow. Follow them online at boingo.com or on Twitter at Boingo. Thanks to Hadley Heck. She's a student athlete at Portland State University, and she's our new Sports Business Radio intern. I want to welcome ZipRecruiter to our family of sponsors. Again, really happy to have them on board. My listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash SBR. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash SBR. Happy to have them on board. And thanks again to our new partner, the Robinhood app. Robinhood is giving our listeners a free stock like Apple, Ford, or Sprint to help build your portfolio. Sign up at sbradio.robinhood.com. That's sbradio.robinhood.com. A podcast reminder, you can catch our show on demand via podcast. Go to iTunes, type in Sports Business Radio. We're rated in the top 50 business news podcasts. You can also find our show on Audio Boom via the TuneIn Radio and Stitcher apps, and, of course, at sportsbusinessradio.com. Follow me on Twitter in between shows at SB Radio. Follow us on Instagram at sportsbusinessradio. For Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon right here on Sports Business Radio.